0: Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the A-10 Talk Podcast. Sam Basil joined alongside Daniel Frank and Kaylee Godek. And looks like it's been a pretty good week to be a body. Uh, we'll be getting into the uh, men's win over Duke Kane from the other night, you know, in a second. But let's start off with uh, something, you know, a, pr- a pretty shocking or, you know, 3-14 and 14 versus, you know, 4-17. and St. Uh, Bonaventure, 54-53. Over Dayton on the women's basketball side. Uh seems like, you know, the the A ten talk staff are getting pretty pretty fired up about this result. Daniel, can you uh can you break down what happened there for me?
1: Yes, it's been a wild week for, for St. Bonaventure Women's Basketball. Um earlier in the week, Jesse Fleming, who's been the the head man at St. Bonaventure for for a number of years now, was fired midseason. Um and and I'd say it's about time. Um, Bona has been really, really awful for years running now. Um, and with just a couple days of, of quick turnaround after the firing, Eric Amaro takes over as interim head coach and the Bonnies get their first win over Dayton since 2016, the first home win over the Flyers since 2009. Um, and they do so picking up their first conference win of the year. Um, with oh. uh, admittedly great support from St. Bonaventure men's basketball, they were right in the front row down the stretch. They were on their feet. They stormed the court after, as the buzzer sounded. Great scene tonight from the Riley Center.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, and a pretty pretty decent scoreline here. Uh, let's you know three three Bonnies uh, scoring in double digits. But uh, I mean, from what for what you two saw, I mean, what 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 got them the win here tonight? Well, it wasn't their rebounding. I'll tell you that much. Dayton not rebounded the Bonneys forty
1: six to twenty one. The Bonnies are in the lowest in the nation in rebounding, um, but they just they found a way to, to make some timely baskets. They 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 showed some poise that you really wouldn't expect out of a three win team, um, where you know Dayton kind of just slowly chipped away at different points in the game and. Um, right before halftime, the Bonnies went like hella cold, but they they found a way. I mean, even when Perez hit a go-ahead layup in the final twenty seconds, I mean they just the Bonnies came back down, got a shot at one in, and found a way. And that's what conference play is about most of the time, is
0: finding a way, and they did. Yeah, yeah, and I mean this is a really tough uh you know kind of thing, you know, when when it comes to, you know, a season where you kind of fire coach midseason, right? Um, because not only, you know, does the team have to, you know, readjust because it's I feel like I don't know if you two would agree, but I mean it's a bigger deal, I feel like, when that happens in college basketball than it does, you know, in any sort of professional sport. Um, so I mean for for Coach Eric Amaro, this must be a big deal for them. Uh, you know. Jesse Fleming leaving. I mean, what what do you think was the 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 like the straw that broke the camel's back there? If you know, considering that Saint Bonaventure women's have been struggling for so long.
2: So, if you go and look on, I just pulled up Wikipedia, but if you go and look up Saint Bonaventure women's basketball, you will notice the difference. Like, you will basically like see whether or not like when Fleming took over and when Fleming was not coaching. Um, Fleming took over in the 2016-2017 season, same season as Torrey Verdi at UMass. So the fact that they gave him seven years and listed here in conference play, he tied for 11th, tied for 12th, took 12th for two years in conference and then tied for 10th last season. And not having like an above 500 record or like winning in double digits, he like the most games he won was in his first year, which had nine wins. So mm-hmm. I think ultimately with the three wins that he did have and 17 losses, I think he knew at the beginning of the season that if he didn't pull out a double digits in wins, that he was probably going to get fired. I think they may have like said something to him like that when they could have said something to like Matt McCall, like when McCall got fired midseason, but they kept him as the interim. Um, but basically like you can't really like make a full like adjustment with it. Like you do have to give it a few years for like a coach to take over a program. So considering the fact that they went from being 24 and eight overall in 2015, 2016, and then like going down to nine and 20 in his first season, that's like horror, like a horrible sight to see. So the fact that he got fired wasn't surprising, but, I was a bit surprised that they fired him mid conference play.
1: I will say yeah, the 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 nine game losing streak book ended by losses of thirty and forty points in which both games the Bonneys only scored thirty nine points. If you're asking Sam, what's the straw that broke the camel's back? That's what did it, man.
0: And you know what? It, it could be interesting now. I mean, you know, I feel like when you not only not only is a is a is a, is a firing of a head coach, you know, kind of rare in college basketball and it's a big deal in college basketball. But now that now that Fleming's gone and Morrow is taking over, even even with a team like San Bonaventure, who probably didn't have a lot of you know major expectations heading into this season, any expectations that were still there are pretty much completely gone. So we could we could see some some interesting games from them uh, going forward. I mean, you know, I feel like a, a prime example is like last year's UMass team. I mean, that was a little bit different because they kept McCall on after letting him go. But still, I mean, they had that, you know, they got that really great win. In the A-10 tournament, uh, Fordham, you know, they they got off a win against LaSalle uh, when, when Coach DePauli was was taking over uh, a couple games back uh, two years ago. So w- we'll see, I guess. I want to stay on the women's side for a sec before we go over to the St. Bonaventure men's. But uh, the other big game that I felt like happened this week was at the Rose Hill Gym between UMass and Fordham, uh, which the Minute Woman took 66-57, but it really didn't seem like you know UMass really had you know it, it, complete control of this game the entire time. I mean, the second half they kind of picked it up, but you know a, a kind of a, a kind of a quiet game from Sam Breen, ten points, fifteen rebounds though, yeah. were really interesting. And but just like a monstrous takeover from Fordham's Anna DeWolf with thirty three points. So if I I don't know if either of you got a chance to watch watch these games, but I mean. From what I saw on Twitter and, you know, just highlights and everything, it looked really electric. So for either of you, I mean, what what was so great about this game?
2: So I will just say, um, Destiny Floxy and Sydney Taylor kind of had a minor homecoming with Destiny being from Queens, New York, and Sydney being from Hutchington Station, New York. So it was close enough for her family to actually get to the game. So the fact that they both played very well at that game was really good. Um, unfortunately, I did not get to watch it live. Um, I was busy working um, for the Western New England team um, last night, and I was not able to watch it live, but I did get to go back and watch it. Um, I think the fact that, like, Breen was struggling with personal, like, foul trouble, I think that kind of did it in a little bit and had her have a quieter night. Um... But 15 rebounds on a night, that's still really good. That's almost, like, not exactly 50% of the team's rebounds, but that's a good portion of the team's rebounds. So, like, 38 rebounds total, Sam had 15 of them. We're looking at almost 50% of it, but still, like, the fact that UMass was able to pull this out with Sam only putting up 10 points and Sydney putting up 10 points and Bernaya having a, a second consecutive, like, breakout game, um with 18 points, she's, like, getting close to her career high again. Um, She had 19 points against St. Joe, so the fact that, like, these three players are really starting to shine, um, it's really good to see. And honestly, granted, Destiny did not get a lot of points as she wanted to. She still scored six points on the night, and she had a lot of fun, I'm assuming, with being back home. And I'm sure she had a lot of friends and family at that game besides Sydney. And and Sam did, too.
0: Sydney Taylor. Now that you mentioned it, uh, a, a Long Island native and a Saint Anthony's alumni. That's 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 pretty great. That uh, you know she's she she went from Saint Anthony's, which is a pretty prominent, um, you know, Long Island Catholic high school program. I mean that and like Shamanade, You know, I mean Chaminade's an all boys school, but you know those are the two big, you know, Catholic athletic programs on Long Island. So that's that, that's pretty cool to see. What what does this game say about about you know kind of the the the, the women's standings? I mean, you know, UMass now four and one, Fordham four and two. I know we were talking about that 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 top five kind of situation that that we that we were looking at last week. How does this affect things? Does this kind of just maintain status quo, or or was Fordham kind of you know knocking at the door on UMass a little bit, uh, showing that there could be some like really, really major shakeups here? I I, I I'll be honest, I, I've I have not been a, a UMass what's
1: what I'm looking for here. I've not been Are a you trying to choose your
2: words lightly?
1: I've not been a UMass detractor, but I've I've questioned I've questioned whether this team has the medal it's had in years past, um, at previous points. I think this team passed this test with flying colors. I think that's what we learned about this team. Um Sam Brain didn't score a point in the entire first half, and UMass still was right in this game. I think they, I think it was tied at halftime or they led by two or something, but like a game in which your star player is basically non-existent offensively and still finding a way to win on the road in an electric environment. I mean, it was honestly the best crowd I think I've ever seen from a woman's game at Rose Hill gym. Um And dealing with Wolf dropping seven threes, 33 points. I mean, Wolf is just sensational. She's so much freaking fun to watch, man. And I mean, for UMass to, to come out and win this game the way they did, I feel like, it, it, I think UMass has really put themselves in the driver's seat here. Um, I think we'll, from from looking a little further down the standings, St. Joe's and Fordham do play this weekend. Um, the winner of that game, I think, puts themselves in a real good spot to to make sure they stay in that top four. The loser of that game is going to have an uphill battle the rest of the way, trying to hang on to that last position um, for the double buy. but it, it's... We're ramping up and we're I think a third of the way through conference play right now and it just, just it's exciting right now.
2: Yeah, and I do just want to touch base since you did just say St. Joe's. Um Saint Joe's did have a really close nail bitter up at UMass on Saturday. And then they came they went back down to Hagen Arena and played LaSalle and they lost to LaSalle. So they are currently riding a two-game losing streak. I don't know if they've like lost their confidence since they've um, now lost two games or what's going on. So Fordham may have a slight advantage in that game just because St. Joe's could be like saying, Oh, we've hit our peak. I don't know if we can like, I think we can still make it into like the top four, but it's more of an uphill battle. Like they could just be saying that because right now it's like they, there's no tiebreaker in between them. So they're tied for third essentially if you look at it. So, honestly, St. Joe's and Fordham, this game will decide who's third and then who's fourth, essentially. But it also depends on how the other games shake out in the conference on this upcoming weekend.
0: Yeah, that game against St. Joe's was a big game uh, for, it looks like Bernaya Mayo. I mean, she had 19 yeah. points. She's on a six-game, you know, just double-digit scoring streak, 18 against Fordham, 19 against St. Joe's. I mean, what... What has allowed her to, you know, have such a great tear lately? I
2: think because not many teams plan for her. Um, The fact that she's been left off of, like, conference team, all conference teams the past, like, three seasons. I think she may have gotten, like, rookie of the, like, on the rookie team, but I could be wrong Mm -hmm. on her freshman year. But other than that, like, she's been, like, flying under radar. Like, no one's known, like, about her and like if they do scout her it's like minimal saying oh she's not going to shoot don't worry about it she's just their, like star point guard and she just mm. like is like one of the main facilitators besides Destiny Coloxy so the fact that she's had like these like consecutive double digit like games and if she can keep this up I think we could be looking at her being on the second or third team um I think unfortunately the first team's kind of set with Breen Taylor, Torre Wolf, and Dingle I'm just gonna say probably it's probably gonna be those five, um, that be on the first team with probably Torre, the Wolf, and Breen probably in the running for that um, player of the year. But I'm gonna say it's probably gonna be Torre, out of all of them.
0: I mean it's it's kind of hard to be like disappointed, right, and like not making the first team when 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 that projected first team is like so dominant. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. I mean even getting like a second team there, like I mean, almost feels like. Like a like a huge reward. Oh, which it is, you know, second team second or yeah. third team's is, is, is always great.
2: Veloxy will be on second or third team. So Mayo making on to the second or third team with her wouldn't be a bad thing. And I'm gonna say White's probably gonna end up on second or thirteen. But Veloxy's gonna make all defensive team with the amount of charges she draws. <laughs>
0: Yeah, so I mean, really interesting. I mean, a great, you know, a great way for like you know the 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 women's you know conference play to really start you know shaking up and 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 staying exciting. And I think you know both sides of the Atlantic Ten have been have been pretty exciting so far in conference play. And uh, you know, just like just like how their women's team you know got the one point win off of uh, Dayton tonight uh i mean i definitely want to talk about saint bonaventure on the men's side as the other day they pulled off a 65 56 win against duquesne uh which duquesne you know they're still 13 and 6 overall they had a really hot non-conference start and they were able to you know keep some of that momentum um going into conference play but after after a couple a couple weird losses uh they're three and three in conference play saint bonaventure is now ahead of them at 4-2. and So for the two of you, I mean, they're... Actually, Duquesne is sandwiched right in between the two Georges in the Atlantic 10 men's standings right now. Um, So for for you two, was this game kind of a Bonnie's emergence game? Was this a Duquesne faltering game? Or was it a little bit of both?
2: I'm going to say it's a mix. Um, Bonnie's have been performing either really well during the like certain times of conference play or have barely like skated by. They didn't pull off a win against Rhode Island. Rhode Island ended up beating them by one point. Part of the three one point games that we did have last week. Um UMass lost to them by 20 some odd points when UMass only beat the Bonnie's Bonnie woman by 20 some odd points. So I think, St. Bonaventure kind of came in with not a lot of expectations since they didn't return a single starter, to my knowledge, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, so I don't the think they returned that, a single
1: point, if I remember that correctly.
2: I, a single I score remember. or something. Something crazy
1: like that. It was
2: something crazy. Um, But basically, the fact that St. Bonaventure, granted, yeah, they did come into conference play just, like, around 500, either whether it was below or above. Um, The fact that they're, like, trying to emerge right now during conference conference play is definitely good for them and it'll definitely help their brand and honestly they could be really sneaky um but you you can't really say Bonaventure is going to be sneaky when you're expecting them to be sneaky almost every year because they can pull off those sneaky wins in March when it's needed the most
0: yeah, so this Bonaventure team, I mean, I'm looking through the roster right now, and obviously they lost a lot of guys to the portal, right? Like O'Shun who's now at Iowa State. Actually, I don't know if the two of you saw this, but uh there was a there was a picture recently. I mean, obviously O'Shun now playing Power 5 basketball at Iowa State. Uh they had a, I think I think they had a pretty decent game against um uh Texas, like UT Austin, and there's a there's a photo of O'Shun doing the horns down oh, yeah, the I saw that, and I was like, Oh wow. like <laughs> That was, that was pretty awesome. Cause I mean, I mean, I'm sure anybody listening knows, like, I mean, the horns down is like, I mean, th- th- there's rules against it in, in big 12 football, I think, because I think it'll start fights, but now that they're going to the sec, I feel like a lot of people in the sec are like, look, if that's, if that's, what's going to get you like riled up, like, I don't know if you're ready for like, uh, <laughs> like being at, being in the sec, um, because as you know, SEC likes fans like to say like it's just different down there. It just means more. Yeah, <laughs> that's what it is. Um, which, whatever, sure. Um, <laughs> <laughs> nah, we love the SEC, but um, and we love beating them more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but look, Saint Bonaventure loses a ton of players to the transfer portal, reconstructs themselves. Via the transfer portal. I mean, you look at a lot of their main contributors, right? They are they are first year Bonnie's players, but they're like sophomores, juniors, and now now they're they're fifth in the conference, and you know they're 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 tied for 4th Um what actually this... they have a
1: tiebreaker over Richmond too, so they are in fourth.
0: Oh, so they are straight up fourth. They're straight oh. up in fourth
1: because that was their other win in the past week was they they beat Richmond head to head.
0: Interesting. Okay, so so yeah, they're fourth in the conference. They're r- they're right in the mix. I mean, for me, I mean, the, the conclusion I draw from this is, you know, like like we like we see with you know the Archie Millers, the Fran Dunphys, It's like experience in this league as a coach and just you know experience with your program with the A10, knowing how these other teams tick, um, is often one of the biggest difference makers. So for you. I mean, how what what does this say about Mark Schmidt as as just a head coach?
1: Well, Schmidt, Schmidt, I I don't think anyone questions that he's probably one of the top coaches in this league. He's been a he's also one of the longest tenured too, which certainly I think helps the cause. Yeah, um, I, I I really think just Bonner's emergence in the last the last week or so I think is a really interesting just note about the trajectory of mid major basketball teams sometimes where. I think we, we we focus in so much on getting an at-large bid to the NCAA tournament, right? Like, I feel like... And I'm going to get on a soapbox here, but just kind of ride with me. I promise it'll make sense in the end. Hop but, on that soapbox, Daniel.
2: But <laughs> you like, got this, Daniel.
1: Like, we, we hyper-focus on, like, making the NCAA tournament and, like, getting an at-large bid. And what is our bid situation? And, oh, my God, we lost all these early games. And, like, if you look at Bona's non-con, like, these are some tough games that they played. Like, they played essentially a true road game at South Dakota State. They won a neutral game against Notre Dame, um, who admittedly is not as good this year, but like still um, had a tough game against Rick Pitino and Iona. Florida Gulf Coast is always a good team. You know, some crazy road games with and Northern Iowa to round out the non-con. I mean, these are games that I, and, and I've seen, there was this discussion at the time, like why is Bonas still playing these, these games, these road games? And it's like, it may not look sexy on paper, but these are the games that get you ready for conference play because you go to these raucous gyms, you go to these crazy environments, you put yourself through the ringer, you're going to lose some games, yeah, but if your goal is not, you know, let's put ourselves in the, the best possible position to to have that right balance of let's get, you know, the net, whatever we want it to be, but just get your basketball team ready to play the Atlantic 10 conference schedule, which is a grind I mean, it's paying dividends. I, I feel like we see this every year from the Bonnies, where everyone's like, "Why the hell are they play in these crazy small opponents that they play every year because of old rivalries?" And yet, every year there they are in semifinal Saturday
0: in Brooklyn, mm. unless they miss two free throws. Uh, well, you yeah. uh, know, <laughs> but no, 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 no. You make a great point. I mean, look, Saint Bonaventure. I don't really think is ever a team that's like we're we're coming out the gates ready to be an at large team, right? And 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 that's good. I don't think you need to I think if you're if your main focus like like exactly what you're saying, if your main focus um as a as a mid-major school and when building your non-conference schedule is we need to be an at-large team. I think you're. I think you're going about it the wrong way. I think it needs to be. We need to put ourselves in tough environments. Uh, we need to, or you know, there there are two options, right? There's the there's the St. Bonaventure way of looking at it, and then there's kind of like, you know, maybe like the like the Fordham way of looking at it, where it's like, look, we need to like St. Bonaventure is like we need to put ourselves in some really tough environments, uh, so that we can be. Be prepared for conference play against some really tough opponents who kind of play like how our conference opponents play. Or you could be like Fordham where it's like, look, we need to get a lot of home games going. We need to, you know, kind of keep building this culture that we've established. You know, get this team, you know, figure out who we are, how to play with each other. And um, I think it's it's paid dividends for St. Bonaventure so far. And to, to fact check you on uh, the longest tenured coach in the Atlantic 10. I want to say Schmidt, it's Mooney. Oh, you are yeah. correct. I always forget he's been there Mooney. for
1: like twenty years or something because he looks so young.
2: I'm gonna say it was Mooney followed by Schmidt, probably like the next one because those two have been around
0: forever. Yep, you are exactly correct. That one and <laughs> one and two. Wow, um, it's kind of tricky, or like I thought it would be a little bit tricky because, um, I I like you know I mean obviously Bob McKillop's not coaching anymore, but like you could say like last year you could have said McKillop, but like. Was he the longest-tenured Atlantic 10 coach? Like, not really, yeah. because there were so many years where they were in the SOCON. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. So, it's Chris Mooney who's been around, who's been who's been at Richmond since 05, and he's been the in the Atlantic 10 the entire time. And then Mark Schmidt has been there since 07, and he's been in the Atlantic 10 the entire time, obviously. And most of these coaches, because I was looking at it, and it was really not hard finding outside of those two coaches, because... When you look at the schools, like when you really have like a list of like the schools in front of you, this has been a conference with a lot of coaching turnover uh, in the past decade. I mean, there's a lot of coaches here that, you know, like I would say more than way more than half have been, you know, at their current spot for like less than five years. I mean, maybe some of them less than four. Most in of the them same. probably. Yeah.
2: yeah. Anthony Grant's probably the next one up there with being at Dayton for what, like five, six seasons now since um, he took over for Miller?
0: No, I think it's actually, uh I think it's Travis Ford.
2: Uh, no, yeah, Travis sounds about right. Like yeah. Travis Ford and Anthony Grant are probably like the next two up there in that list.
1: Yeah. I'm just, I mean, I'm just staring at my standings right now. Like GW Capito first year. <laughs> English second year, like Fordham first year, LaSalle first year, UMass first year, St. Joe's, it's gonna be his last year, Rhodey first year, <laughs> Davidson first year, Loyola first year.
0: Like, yeah, yeah we Travis don't talk Ford. about
2: how men are doing for UMass right now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, actually, no, let's 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 actually talk about it. Let's oh, stir uh, that pot, oh. Sam. Yeah, yeah, let's rip that band aid. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. Because I actually, I actually did want to talk about that. Eighty three fifty five
1: to VCU.
0: 100%. I mean, look, VCU's on a tear. They're five and one. They beat Dayton <laughs> um, in a really, really good game. So, uh, look, I'm not going to fault UMass too hard for that. But I mean, I will. Where is this team? Where is this team falling short?
2: Um, Daniel, really? Come on, like,
0: <laughs> just give me some slack. <laughs> That's for
1: your Louisville comment last week.
2: Okay, huh. that, that's fair. That's fair.
1: <laughs>
2: um, basically, all I'm gonna say is it. always it's always hard to go down to the Siegel Center and try to beat VCU down there because the environment down there is always like electric and it's always loud and like it's always booming. So very fair. Like, first off, going down and playing at VCU, it's always gonna be a tough matchup for whatever team. Um, but really to talk about this UMass game which I was trying to watch mid middle of a practice and a lot of the players were criticizing me for trying to watch this game in the middle of the practice and it got to a point where I literally just could not watch it anymore and I literally slammed my computer shut um no Noah Fernandes because um he re-injured his ankle so he is day-to-day right now um limited participant um In practice, per what Michael Bergman and several other reporters posted today. RJ Lewis was also out for the second consecutive game. Um, He will hopefully, he is supposed to be back for the game against St. Joe's on Saturday, but it can still get ruled out. Um, I think those two factors right there, and I really wasn't paying attention to much of the second half just because of trying to work. And they were doing so good in the first half that when I wasn't paying attention, I figured I might as well just not pay attention completely. <laughs> and just that was so, despair. just, that was just horrible. And I slammed my computer shut about 10 minutes into the second half. Like we were down by like 15 and we were like, we were, I think we were only down by seven at half too. So it is a little like rough still, just imagine it. But again, They're all new, like, most of them are transfer students. Like, you got to give them some slack in that. Um, And there are still some true freshmen playing. And the fact that we saw Gianni Thompson come off the, like, bench very quickly, he typically does not get any playing time. He's a Boston College transfer. Um, Wilden Slovak and Isaac Conte must not have been fulfilling the role that um, Martin wanted, and it just happens but the fact that Thompson actually got playing time in this game in the first half instead of when we were down by 20 is like a huge thing to see.
0: Yeah. Can
1: can I ask a question? And I I don't mean this to just be targeted at UMass. I want this to be more of just a general question. At what point in the season do you stop cutting slack for new teams? Because November, December. Okay. I get it. Got a lot of new pieces. You're figuring out the process but at a certain point in the season, i mean we're in late january now. This is a UMass team that had a lot of expectations especially after the way they started the season. And i don't mean to be picking on UMass here. I mean you could pick at George Mason, which i would i would happily do. At what point is there does there have to be some degree of accountability? I mean UMass is 11 and 7, Mason's 11 and 8. They're basically identical on paper. But like at what point does there need to be some accountability for like hey, this is mid January. We gotta figure this out. Like, I don't know. I mean,
0: I, I can't keep cutting people slack forever. Yeah, no, I, I when you're a team I, that I'm has headed. injuries, it's like a little tough. Because I mean, you know, an, an, like an, like an injury, like like with Noah Fernandes. I mean, that that kind of throws your team for a loop, and it 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 it, it makes you kind of pull back, readjust, figure out what you're gonna be doing. Or you know if a player you know leaves the team mid-season, like you kind of have to change. I mean that's very rare, but you know what I mean. Like if there's a coaching change, like I mean, which UMass doesn't have, but it's it's tough. But I, I mean, I agree. I mean, you're you're we're we're it's January 19th as of recording this. Um, it's there's there's not really much you can do at this at this point in the season. Like if like and yeah. There's not much to do, and it's kind of like we're kind of getting to the point in the season where, obviously, you know, in a mid-major, anything can happen, as as anything and everything always does in the Atlantic Ten. But you can already kind of get an idea of like where where teams will fall.
2: Yeah, so I, I mean, I agree, Danielle. Just to kind of like actually kind of pinpoint, like as like an answer to that, I would say. You really can't say, oh, it's just because of a new team anymore. Even though I, I literally just said it. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm gonna correct myself here on it. I'm gonna say probably at the start of like any conference play, like that's so when you can't really say, oh, they're just a new. They're still trying to adjust. Um, I haven't been able to like follow the men's as closely as I have been in the past years. Um, but I think in part with me, there could be just some personnel like stuff. Like it could just be. Lack of leadership, lack of, like, wanting to, like, win. Like, not really, like, not really, like, like seeing these expectations and, like, fulfilling these expectations could be portions of it, too. And saying, like, oh, we can totally get that. And, like, oh, it's not a problem at all. So the fact that, like, UMass is kind of, like, their expectations at the beginning of the season were kind of low. And then as soon as they came out in the Myrtle Beach MTE and won that, their expectations, like, skyrocketed. And after that, like, they were doing really good until they lost to North, I want to say it was North Texas. um, But basically, like, just with, like, those two losses going into conference play, like, those, like, a loss to North Texas and a loss to Towson, both of those teams are probably going to be tournament play teams. So it's, those aren't two horrible losses. It's just, I think losing to LaSalle, um, by a point at home was not needed. Losing to GW by twenty points was not needed. Yes, Daniel, I know you're. It was you're a lot happy. of fun. I don't
1: know what you're talking about. I had a great time at that game.
2: <laughs> I I didn't get to watch that game because I was busy working. Um, oh,
1: I was there. And that was so much fun.
2: I wish I could have at least watched it on TV, but work comes first, unfortunately. Um, and the fact that like they lost by like, twenty some odd points to. Um, St. Bonaventure doesn't help him. And same with this loss to VCU. Unfortunately, like I really don't want to see a pillow fight them be a pillow fight team. They're not like the strength they have is not a pillow fight team at all. Um, when I talked to one of their managers that I know from having gone to my high school, he said that their ceiling was going to be third place and not their basement was gonna be sixth place. Mm. We're current we're current or it could have been sixth or ninth, I don't remember. It was it was outside of the bottom, like the bottom five. But the fact that we're like in this bottom five, like pillow fight kind of scenario, is kind of scary. Me. Like UMass, I mean, granted, yes, it, it is a rebuilding year. I will give Martin some slack on that. But the fact that like we're looking at a pillow fight seed right now in a pillow fight game, I don't know how much stress I can handle during like, the first two weeks of March with both the women's and men's, like, tournament plays happening for A-10. I don't know because, honestly, like, both teams are a little, like, kind of not meeting expectations right now at UMass, and it's kind of scaring me a little bit too much that I am, like, just going back and watching games. I'm not watching them live anymore. Like, it's gotten to that point if I'm not, like, trying to do live tweets or something just because – Oh, I'm getting paid. I can get paid to work so for Western New England for a basketball game. Mm. I love UMass. Like, I'm gonna watch UMass. I'm gonna go back and watch UMass games whenever I can, and I'm probably gonna like double check the Fordham game again, to, like after we're off this call tonight.
0: I feel like we've we've established some some sort of like catharsis for the UMass fan base. Uh, hopefully, you know any oh. any UMass fans listening can can you know find some comfort in knowing that maybe. Their feelings about their team, their frustrations are, 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 are not, uh, you know, singular to them. But let's talk about a team that I think, you know, their fans should be feeling good about, even though there are, you know, there, there were, there have been some shaky moments. And, uh, that's the Dayton Flyers. Obviously, you know, the preseason favorites to win the conference. Um, they've had their own troubles, uh, you know, a lot of injuries going on, uh, throughout this roster. Uh, and they're, they're still spilling over into conference play. Uh, Malachi Smith made his made his uh return though against Davidson the other night um in a 68-61 home win but right before that uh they lost at home to VCU I called it 63-62 you did call that game and um I don't really think you know it's much to much to worry about for Dayton but I mean I think it's and especially you know, just that loss wasn't really like that much to worry about. But I mean, couple that with um a shaky first half against Davidson, in which I would say Sam Menenga, I mean, you know, gotta give credit credit to uh you know Desmond Watson. Team high, nineteen points, awesome performance from him. He's had some crazy, really good performances. Um, but Sam Menenga in the first half to me uh was lights out. I mean, he established Early control of the paint and really did not relinquish until he got into some foul trouble in the second half. So for you two, did either of you really see any major you know kryptonite on this on this uh, Dayton roster, or do you feel like maybe this was just you know two shaky games that they'll that they'll push through and and be able to you know make their way to you know championship Sunday in the A ten tournament.
2: I just want to say this right now. Um, That VC with that VCU Dayton game, I, that was just sheer luck that I had just called it that they were going to lose that day. I was not, I was not, not take credit.
1: To... You, you got yeah, it. You don't know. call it luck. Uh, yeah, Don't, don't walk. Yeah.
2: Well, no, I, I'm i just saying like, I don't want to be like getting like blasted by Dayton fans for saying, Oh, you're lost. This is, you made us lose. Like, I'm just trying to cover my, my steps there a little bit.
1: <laughs> Are you saying uh, that we're introducing the KG Jinx here on the show? <laughs>
2: really, we're calling it that.
0: <laughs>
2: um, but basically, I watched that game Friday night. Um, the fact that we were able, like, I was actually able to watch majority of it without falling asleep in the middle of it. Um, I think the, I had an early morning the next day, so of course I'm gonna try to stay awake. Um, but basically, that game, I've never seen Dayton like. Be that close in the first half and then just blow
0: it. Mm. Um,
2: I think just with that kind of like feeling, I think that was just a little surprising by me. But also the fact that VCU got two votes in the AP poll was also surprising. When I woke up on Monday, I do just want to point that out. And I thought that was interesting. No
1: idea what they're doing. They never do. Well, like (laughs) earlier this season, someone tried to vote. I forget what it was, but like someone tried to vote South. Carolina State, where like someone made a typo and like voted the wrong team in or something, and so like it was like oh I think it was like Mississippi Valley State or something got in when someone tried to vote in like Ole Miss or Mississippi State or like one of those two. Like the AP mm. voters have no idea what they're doing.
0: that's not like any- also like the AP too because it's like I this is personally a I stand I stand by the AP poll. I think I I I like the AP poll and I I feel like although I feel like people. I I feel like the criticism of the AP poll on the basketball side of things comes from people maybe making it like people valuing it like a little too much um, for like what it is because it it's an opinion poll. I think it's I think it's incredibly valuable. Yeah, but at the end of the day, it's a, it's it's a it's a press opinion poll, and some people think it's like the definitive. Like this is blah blah blah, but you know, it, I don't know. Uh, 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 That's uh, fair. I can live with that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but but to, I- to,
1: to answer your question, Sam, about about Dayton kind of getting back on track here, yeah. I, I I think, and this is not a great answer, but I think we will learn more about Dayton on Saturday than we will have learned about them in the last two games. I think if Dayton goes on the road to GW and loses, I think the the alarm bells can start going off if they can go on the road, even if it's a close game, I know Dayton fans won't be happy if it's a close game because they think GW is some dinky dunk team that everyone should be blown out by 40. I'm sorry. That's not who GW is anymore. Um, But I digress. If Dayton gets a road win at the Smith center on Saturday, I think Dayton's fine. They don't cause for concern warranted.
0: Yeah. So I, that's actually, that's actually what I was going to like say when you, when you, when you teed that up, like, so even if, even if they only win by like seven points and they, they maybe, you know, GW goes up by one point midway through the second half. I feel like when you, you know, when you're a team like Dayton, that's kind of on your fan base is like, oh my God, like we barely scraped our way out of GW. I but can see Kyle's saying- tweets already. <laughs> <laughs> So you're saying you're saying that the alarm bells should not be blaring if, if, if that's the case. I mean, look, G- I, there's
1: an, a legitimate argument to me that GW is one of the hottest teams in the conference right now. I know it's not a sexy, common, popular opinion, but they just went on the road to George Mason. They're three and two. Their only other loss is a very close road loss to Richmond. Like, like GW is not a bad team. They've taken so many steps forward this year. And I know they don't have the respect of the conference. That's fine. But I'm just saying, for the sake of saying it, that that it is so damn hard to win on the road in this conference. Like, just regardless of who you're playing. And we've seen that for years where there's been some really putrid LaSalle and Fordham teams that have, have won some, like, home games they really shouldn't have because it's so hard to win on the road in this conference. Yeah. And for Dayton to be able to go on the road this weekend to a, a – Top 7 team, I think GW's going to finish in the top 7, 8. And, and get a road win, no matter what kind of win it is, I think says a lot. And people will tell me I'm wrong. I probably am. But I'm going to die on this hill.
0: <laughs> yeah, and look, nine, 9 and 9 gets you, like, the 6 or 7 seed in this conference. Yeah. So it's, like, not, it's not totally unreasonable.
2: Well, Daniel, I'm just going to say this. Like, correct me if I'm wrong here. GW is currently playing with what, seven player scholarship players?
1: They have in eight rotation? that they dress and seven that play any substantial yeah. minutes. Quanti so, Samuels hasn't played much at all recently.
2: Yeah, well, I'm trying to remember names, but I know James Bishop's like one of the big names that we talk about all the time. Um Yeah, it's James
1: but, Bishop, Ricky Lindo Jr., okay. um, Brendan Adams, Hunter Dean. And uh, Maximus Edwards is the rounding out starting five. And then you have Mm -hmm. off the bench, Noel Brown and Amir Harris. And that's literally all they play. Kwanzaa Mm -hmm. Samuels has five minutes a night, maybe. That is literally all they have played since December because they have no one else. They have three guys done for the year.
2: Yeah, no. And I was just asking that mainly because I I remember James Bishop and I remembered the last name of Lindo yep <laughs> and basically those are the two names that we mentioned the most um but basically like I think that James if James Bishop has a 40point night Dayton could be looking for a little in a little bit of trouble but if Bishop does pull off a 40point night it, it's all a matter of ifs and buts with that
1: but that's the thing that's different about this GW team like right like the last several years, there was no. Oh my god, this guy could go off for like 20, 30 points. Like Jameson Battle, maybe you could say that about no one else. Like in the last since Mike Lonergan basically was here, since you had watched Nabe graduated, there has been no GW player that's like, oh my gosh, they could change the entire game. But anyway. But yet-
2: We can't, unfortunately, not, we can't dub them the Savage 7 like we did up at UMass. Sorry. I know. Not, not, not yet, anyway. Not Not yet. yet.
1: They get to the the day 10 finals, we'll have, we'll revisit this conversation. We'll we'll
2: revisit that conversation,
1: (laughs) yes. Hey, I've already made a promise to David Korn, though, that, if GW men somehow make the A10 finals, I will call the the, the championship game with him on WRGW. So, <laughs> I will totally make my, my Brooklyn debut if GW gets to the finals. But David's totally got to David's got to wear
0: that pink jacket the entire that time. That was a great I, I,
1: jacket. That was I, a great I, jacket.
0: It it almost burned itself into the uh into the screen on my TV when I was watching GW yeah. a couple <laughs> days ago. Um, I, I had
2: the game on, and I saw. I just saw the pink jacket, and I just look up, and I'm like, oh, that's David. I should yes, take a David. picture.
0: <laughs> um, but, yeah, so you mentioned that Dayton-George Washington game this weekend. That's obviously going to be a big test for the Flyers on the road. But, you know, kind of finishing up tonight, Um, what other games are you two looking at on both the men's and women's side? I mean, for me, definitely looking at Fordham-Duquesne. I think that'll be an interesting game Fordham you know pulled off the uh buzzer beater win over LaSalle they kind of it seemed like that game kind of getting themselves back to basics figuring out you know what was what was working for them early in the season and even some new stuff I mean will Richardson for Fordham got his got his another start in conference play um that was really interesting hit a, hit a career high in scoring so I mean look all these teams are still adjusting St Louis LaSalle could be really interesting Saint Bonaventure. St. Bonaventure's yet to win in a away game, but you know, going against Loyola Chicago, I mean, it could be could be very is interesting. It's the Ramblers' time to finally get over the
1: hump. <laughs> I okay,
2: know. I'm I'm gonna call this game now.
1: Oh, here we go. Saint okay, bon- here we go.
2: St. <laughs> Bonaventure is gonna be Loyola Chicago.
1: Oh, I'm calling all right. it. I'm
2: calling it. Wow, just I, I know doing I don't to Sister
1: like that. Damn.
2: <laughs> I'm sorry, Sister Jean. Um, I'm just. I don't know if I can fully put faith in well Chicago right now since they've yet to win a game on the men's side still in conference play.
0: So where and, do you think that win will come? Because, I mean, they've already lost to St. Joe's, and they're, the rest of their schedule up until their next game against St. Joe's on February 8th is pretty tough because it's Bonnie's, Duquesne, Dayton, then Mason. Do you think their best chance to get their first win is going to be Mason? Is <laughs> is going to be Mason? S-
2: I'm going to say Mason, UMass, or St. Joe's. Wow. Yes, I am I am picking on UMass a lot, but, you know.
1: Loyola's not going to go winless. There's no way.
2: Loyola's not going to go no. winless. If Loyola somehow manages to go winless, I'm going to be very concerned that somehow Jesse Fleming, like, somehow crossed into that pathway
1: over there. <laughs> I'm going to be very <laughs> concerned. That is the greatest take this podcast has ever seen. <laughs> Yeah, wow. I, I
2: I am going to just call that game right now. Um, Royal well, Chicago is going to remain one less this weekend. And I, if I'm wrong, I will fully like, I am just fully like being bold right now, but I'm saying it that Bonnie's are going to win. Just yeah. looking at records and everything.
0: So what else are you see watching this weekend? I mean, I I feel bad. I actually kind of just ran through the entire <laughs> men's slate. <laughs> well, I mean, there is one game that I feel like I didn't mention that that's really good. If if either of you want to tee that one up, well, on
2: I mean we we do have our Friday a ten um game. I'm gonna definitely. Oh wait, I can't watch it I'm at UMass hockey tomorrow. Um, but I'm gonna definitely be trying to keep an eye on this game for sure. It's basically the the great rivalry between the two teams. Um it's basically the richmond virginia matchup between vcu and richmond tip off is at 7 p.m it's on espn two. should be a good game it'll like determine who really owns virginia what like richmond virginia i should really be saying
1: i was um, say fairfax we, is in virginia so hold I, up
2: you, you, you heard me start to correct <laughs> myself you heard me correct myself and okay. for I, your I,
1: Charlottesville. I, you're good for it it's okay yeah
2: um, but I am gonna I'm gonna look more onto the women's side now. Um, I think we're, we're like our only big game like b- besides like our um Fordham St. Joe's game that we were talking about earlier on is we do have two games that are or I think yeah two games that are nationally televised this weekend and that is UMass at Dayton um that's gonna be on ESPN U at noontime and at the same time or, no yeah at the same time. Down at Pittsburgh, um, we have Davidson facing off against Duquesne on CBS Sportsnet. So both of those games are tipping off at noon. Um, I'm gonna, I can't really make a full call on the Davidson Duquesne game. Um, if you somehow loses to date, and I'm gonna like just say, okay, yeah, I'm gonna lose my mind writing this article next. But <laughs> I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say really the picks of the weekend to really pay attention to are probably gonna be the Fordham St. Joe's umass state and rhode island and saint bonaventure Mm -hmm. i think those are going to be the games you want to keep an eye on mainly because you have your top four teams playing in those games and i while i would again i know i'm being really hypocritical here but i would love saint bonaventure to like go on a two-game win streak here and finally hand rhode island their first loss
1: the chaos would be would be amazing
2: the chaos, the chaos would be,
1: grenade would just be the, amazing. The
2: chaos grenade would be like amazing. It would probably boost St. Bonaventure's expectations a little bit, considering, um, having currently be taking a poll within the woman's side of it. Um, there it's kind of like they're meeting expectations, but also not meeting expectations at the same side. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to, to
1: say like. Because I was it's looking hard. at that because I was filming that. I was like, they're 15th. Yeah. They're projected to be 15th. So it's like they're meeting expectations, question mark, because they're as bad as we thought they'd be.
2: Yeah. So I I mentioned that just because Daniel and I are going to be working on an article that's going to come out soon for women's basketball and whether or not they've lived up to expectations. And I just wanted to point out that Bonaventure one, just because that one was a hard one to try to figure out, just because you fire your coach midway through the season. Nine game losing streak that you just managed to beat it. Um. Okay, I'm blanking on who they just beat. Um. They there we go. Um. Dayton's coming off like loss against um. Saint Bonaventure. So UMass does have some legal room in that. So basically, I think if Bonaventure can pull off that win, I think we'll just have sheer chaos for power rankings Sunday afternoon, with our last game like capping off like starting at three p.m. So. Daniel, what do you have for
1: us? I'll give you my, my parting blows. Basically, the two games we haven't yet talked about. Here. Um, yeah. but they happen to be my team, so I'll roll with it. Um <laughs> Saturday, you got George Mason Woman at Richmond. Mason Woman coming off a very, very big emotional win against GW on MLK Day. Yeah. Um not been the best road team this year, but um Richmond has been on a downswing recently. Um if if there's a winnable road game for Mason on, on the schedule, it could come at Richmond. Um, uh, the other game that I think is is the more interesting of the two, um, also featuring DMV versus Richmond area, is GW uh, hosting VCU. Um, GW coming off back-to-back losses to LaSalle and then at Mason. Um, still, I think, trying to prove that they can hang with the top of the league. Um, probably top four is a little out of the question for them at this point, but I think they can still five and six is realistic for GW if they can write the ship and VCU had an abysmal start to both the regular season and to conference play, but is kind of surging as of late. And I think two teams going in opposite directions, really interesting to see how this one plays out. It's also, I think on at noon. So it's on against the other two national televised games, but, um, you got your triple box. And set that up and yeah. enjoy some A Ten hoops this Sunday. I yeah. mean We gotta rent could... the
0: entire slate. <laughs> I mean we're I it's guess it's good. Just... It's all good. Yeah, it's yeah. a good it's a good weekend.
2: Yeah, and I mean I do just want to say this. I think George Washington has a pretty good chance against VCU. Um, considering with everything that VCU's been dealing with with adversity, with like not starting off conference play and regular season the way they wanted to. And yeah. GW has been actually surprising me a lot this year. Same with George Mason for on the woman's side. So I'm gonna say they're both they're both gonna win. Um I am really I'm really pulling out some weird takes tonight. I think that's just because I'm just in that like right mood. I don't know. But we'll see if my we'll see if my takes will like hold up this weekend.
1: Or does the KG drink strike again?
0: So we'll see, we'll see, we'll see how the, how the KG jinx, the KG curse, we will, we'll, we'll keep figuring out, we'll, we'll, we'll see how these results pan out, and then, and then we'll try and figure out a, a, yeah. a, a name to call it, so.
2: KG's hot takes. Yeah, Ooh, I
1: yeah, like it. Hot takes. To- we'll make it a segment. <laughs>
0: So you can see how some of these the the most recent hot takes play out when you're watching this this great slate this weekend. And while you're watching that great slate, I'm sure our entire staff at A10 Talk are going to keep pumping out live tweets, great content, articles. You know, another episode of the podcast coming next week. Uh, all of it's going to be on A10Talk.com, uh, at A10 Talk on Twitter, where we try to you know keep everyone in the loop about what all our staff is up to. Follow myself, Daniel KG. Uh, for all the updates on all your favorite teams. And until then, we'll see you guys next time.